Welcome to Built to Go, a van life podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Wagg, coming to you from the College of Curiosity. This time it's episode 139, and we're going to fill up the time with some reader feedback. That is a bunch of comments and questions and things people have said to me over the last few months that you guys should hear about. We're also going to talk about Flex Seal, that much-loved and much-hated substance we've all seen on TV way too many times, a tale from the road involving a taxi on an island, and a place to visit that was built by a pirate. <laughs> Hello, everyone. Welcome back. I am a day late and a dollar short. And, well, no, I'm actually not. Uh, but um, I am a day late. I apologize for that. But, you know, that's how it goes sometimes. So we're just gonna roll with it. I have received a good number, a good number? I have received a good amount of feedback lately through the Discord channel and through email, and let's take a moment and let you guys know how you can give me feedback, because feedback is good. Feedback changes the show. I hear what you say, and I do what you say, and that's how things go. And look, that rhymed. See? See how good I am? Anyway, we are... We, being me, the royal we, we are found everywhere on social media, but I pay attention to some more than others. The Facebook group, built to go a Facebook group, is what receives the most traffic. But there's also the Discord channel, which is built to go yes, you guessed it, a Discord channel. And I'm also on Instagram as College of Curiosity. I'm on Twitter as Call of Curiosity, C-O-L of Curiosity. And you can always just email me at jeff at builttogo.com. That's two T's, not three, not one. And when you do, I will respond to you and we will have a bit of a conversation and what you say can influence what's on the show. So that's basically how it works. And the results of that are some of the things we're going to talk about today. Most recently, as of last week, I got feedback from none other than Brian Dunning, the host of the podcast Skeptoid. Skeptoid is an excellent podcast. It's been around forever. It's won all kinds of awards. I highly recommend it. You can find it at Skeptoid.org, or if you just search Skeptoid, S-K-E-P-T-O-I-D, in any of your favorite podcast browsers, you will find it. Brian is a big fan of EV, that is electric vehicles, and he took issue with some of what I said last week. But after a conversation on Facebook... Well, I, I don't know what we disagree about. Anyway, I, apparently for some folks, I have given the impression that I am anti-EV, and that is not at all true. I am a big fan of electric vehicles. My personal circumstance is that I can't use one because living in a condo, I literally have no place to plug it in. There's no place nearby that I can plug it in, and because of that, I just I have no way to use it. But the broader context is, I don't think EVs are ready for van life. And Brian's argument is that you don't drive EVs the same as you drive gasoline cars. This model of you fill up your car, and you drive it until it's almost empty, and then you get more gas, well, that's just not how it works with EVs. You charge it frequently. You charge it every time you get home. You can stop and just get a quick charge while you're getting groceries or buying food, whatever. And I, again, don't disagree at all. However... I don't think there is a solid EV solution for vans at this time, and Brian actually agrees. <laughs> so I'm only bringing this up because I don't want to give the impression that I'm anti-EV. I just don't think electric vans are a good option for van life at this time, unless you have very specific conditions. For example, you're a weekender, and you're not going to go very far. 
If you have a place to charge the van at home and you're going to go maybe 50 miles away and spend a weekend at a campground and then come back, or, you know, you can go farther than that, but you do have a range in these vans and it is less than, say, what a Tesla can offer, you know, that's fine. I'm all in favor of that. And people in Europe have definitely done that with NV200s that are available in an electric option. And there have been a couple of, I would say, experimental Ford Transit electric vans out there. But... It's, it's, it's different. It's, it's not the same. I mean, in my Sprinter, I get 400 miles on a tank of diesel, and that gives me a level of freedom that an electric van can't at this time. Ten years from now, it is my fervent hope that everybody will be driving electric vans, and we will have a whole, and we will be dealing a whole lot less with repairs and all the problems that fuels cause and everything like that. I mean, ideally, we would somehow, for an electric camper van, have some massive battery source that could not only power the engine, but also power the lights, and you could cook with and all of that. And there would be a really great way to charge it via solar, but we're not there yet. Someday. So, I'm going to consider that issue closed. Now, back onto the portable van issue. If you remember a few episodes ago, I talked about the idea of a portable van that is basically a bag, a duffel bag or something like that, that you could bring on a plane and then rent a van and then have everything you need to do van life out of the rental. Well, some folks had some good suggestions for that. And one particularly was a person named Tara or Tara. Now, I think they're from the Cincinnati area, so I'm going to say that they pronounced their name Tara, but I don't actually know. So Tara, Tara, I'm sorry if I, I guessed it wrong. But Tara had some excellent ideas for doing a mobile van life solution. And a couple of things, because she's actually done it. See, that's the thing. People have done this, and she learned a few things that she thought I should pass along. So that's what I'm going to do. One thing that she said is that a makeshift sink would be a really good idea. And here's the deal. You don't need a sink that has running water and a drain. You need a basin, right? So you can have a bottle of water or whatever, but let's say you're going to brush your teeth well, generally you're going to spit somewhere. Where are you going to spit? Now, I know some people have a bottle to do that in, but having a basin might be a good thing. Um, you could also wash dishes in it, wash your hands in it, wash your face, and even your hair in it. So she thought that would be a good idea, and geez, that makes a lot of sense to me too. So some sort of a basin that is kind of private because using the restrooms in Walmart and rest areas and stuff like that isn't necessarily the cleanest thing in the world. Another thing she said is that styrofoam coolers, um, how shall we put this, uh, suck. Yeah, no, styrofoam coolers, it's so tempting to go and spend five bucks on a styrofoam cooler at the supermarket and say, okay, I'm done. I think I even mentioned that. But the problem is styrofoam coolers are really terrible. They leak. They are easy to break. If you fill up a styrofoam cooler with, say, two six-packs and some ice and then you try to move it, it very easily could just shatter all over the place. The nice thing about them is that because they suck, they're disposable, so you don't feel bad about throwing them away after you're done with your van life, but still, um, not a great solution. A couple things you can do. Uh, buy a better cooler or actually find a way to use a bigger cooler as your transportation device for all your other van life stuff. For example, maybe get a 30-gallon cooler and have a way to secure the door very carefully and then have that be your checked baggage. 
and then that cooler becomes kind of the center for everything. If you think about that in a minivan, that cooler would be not only where your cold food would go, but it would also be your table. You'd have this flat surface you could do things on. So that's an option. Now, if you're stuck with the styrofoam cooler option for whatever reason, there are things you can do to make styrofoam coolers better. One is to put a trash bag inside the styrofoam cooler. That will stop all your leaking issues. And if you tie up that bag before you put the cover on, it'll help keep the ice colder a little bit longer too. Another thing you can do is tape up the outside. Just a single ring of duct tape or something like that, even packing tape, will make it a lot stronger because the walls of these things just, just aren't that strong. Or another option you have is to kind of make a cooler out of some other kind of a box. I mean, what's a cooler? It's a box you put ice in that has some sort of insulation. Well, maybe you have another solution for that. Maybe you have a blanket you can use as insulation with a bag. I mean, I've made plenty of coolers out of boxes and trash bags. Be creative. Oh, and one last tip they said, and this applies to what I said last week, uh, bring a bunch of magnets with you. I believe in my original suggestion for the mobile van life package, I said bring some tape, and I still think that's good, and that you would tape up trash bags over the windows. Uh, it, depending on the van, if you're somehow renting a cargo van, like even a U-Haul van, magnets would work just as well, if not better, because you can easily remove them and they're not going to get any worse. So if you're going to be in a cargo van, absolutely bring magnets. You can do magical things with magnets. And don't forget a really obvious thing. Bring a light you can hang from the ceiling to just light up in there. You don't want to use the dome light because that does actually use some power. And it may not be very much, especially with modern vans using LED lights. But still, don't risk your starter battery if you don't have to. So thank you, Tara. Those are great suggestions. And I invite more and more suggestions on this. I think we need like a guide to how to go do van life with a rental van anytime you want to. All right, Liz from Canada, who has contributed a few different things to this show. Actually, I have to say one thing Liz did that really opened my eyes. Liz said that a sink is nothing more than a drain. And it took me a while to understand what she meant by that, but, but she's right. The reason you have a sink in a van is for the drain. It's a way to get rid of liquids. That's the most important part. And that doesn't mean it has to do anything else. So if you have a, you could just create a funnel with a pipe that goes to a container or to the outside of the van, which is controversial, and then do all your wash up and stuff in a nice big basin, maybe one that collapses, maybe it doesn't, whatever. But then you can just pour that water in the funnel and you've basically accomplished the same thing as having a great big sink without taking up anywhere near the space that a big sink does. I think that's brilliant. Anyway, that was Liz's idea and I talked about that probably a hundred episodes ago. Liz has a new idea, and she's absolutely right about this. If you are needing a place to park, whether it's very, very hot, or the weather's turned really bad, or you want to do some extra stealth in a city, and you have a low-roof van, parking garages are a great solution. Yes, they cost money, but parking garages are not a place where people expect to see a stealth van parked. They don't get the same kind of street traffic that street parking does, and all that concrete protects you from heat or rain or snow or, you know, hurricanes and tornadoes. I mean, you're going to be a lot safer in a parking garage. If you are going to do the parking garage option, absolutely do not let anything come out of your van. Definitely use a gray water tank and, you know, take care of things privately because you are now in a building. You're not outside anymore. So you have to be respectful. 
And yeah, of course, it costs money, but that money comes with a little bit of security, too, because people tend not to interfere with paid parking lots as much as free ones. So just an idea. All of this is about ideas. And Liz, I thank you for that one because I think it has a lot of merit. I honestly don't remember who said this. It was a long time ago, but I want to bring it up. A lot of people think single-use plastics are destroying the planet, and there's absolutely an argument for that. Plastics last an awful long time, and they're very, very cheap to make, and they seem, you know, they seem to be used for everything. I, we ordered Chinese food the other night, and we probably have 35 different individually wrapped plastic things from the knives and forks and chopsticks. All right, they were in paper. It wasn't so bad. Sweet and sour sauce, soy sauce, fortune cookie. I mean, just we've got just a pile of plastic just from ordering Chinese food. And, um, you know, the problem with van life is, is that that stuff's really convenient. You know, having stuff wrapped in plastic is great for van life, but then you're left with all this plastic. So what do you do about that? Well, you have to make a decision about how you're going to do van life and how you're going to balance your concerns about the environment with your concerns for convenience. And it is a balance. You're never going to be perfect in either direction. So should you use single-use plastics? It is up to you. It is a calculation. There are disadvantages to eschewing single-use plastics. Like if you keep reusing the same containers, well, they get gross. I mean, the nice thing about single-use plastic is that it's always clean, and then you get a new one when you need it. The bad thing is that it fills up landfills and gets in rivers and stuff. So I am just saying this so that you're aware that there's a problem with single-use plastics and that you act what's in your best interest and in the world's best interest. For my part, I try to balance it. Some things I absolutely will have single-use plastics for. For example, I will fess up. I have K-cups in my van. I like K-cups. I like how easy they are. I love the convenience. And yes, that means that I end up with these little plastic cups I have to dispose of. And I dispose of them in the garbage at home. You know, so it's not, for me, my impact is the same as if I'd use them at home. (laughs) Except that at home, I don't use them. It's only in the van. So, just something to consider. I'm not going to get on anyone's case for using single-use plastics. But I do think you should at least think about it and know what you're doing. Now, uh, this was just a suggestion, and if I get feedback on this, I will try to make it happen. But somebody has suggested that using google.com slash mymaps, I create some maps for the built-to-go community, if such a thing exists, and that I put every single one of my place-to-visits on that map so that people have a resource where they can just go and look at every place-to-visit I've recommended. I will think about doing that. It's a bit of work. And it will require me to go back and vet a lot of places because a lot of them aren't in business anymore, sadly. But if there's interest in that, if you would like to see something like that, get in touch and you can encourage me to do it. That's the reader feedback. Just some thoughts and tips and tricks, and I hope some of it was useful. And on with the show. Tech Talk. Let's talk about Flex Seal. Everybody loves Flex Seal, right? I know. Flex Seal is one of these controversial things. Uh, the commercials are everywhere. The guy makes it look like it does everything. He's like, oh, I took this pile of string and made a sports car out of it. And yeah, okay. Let's be realistic about Flex Seal. Flex Seal is very good at some things. And one of the things it's very good at 
as as being available. No, I, this is not a joke. If you're in a van and on the road and you need some kind of liquid rubberized substance for something, you can find Flex Seal at basically any major store that sells that kind of stuff. Home Depot, Walmart, whatever, they all have Flex Seal. What they don't have is Dicor Lap Sealant, which a lot of people will recommend is the very best way to seal things. But that's not of any use if you have a leak right now and you want to fix it. You're going to have to wait. You have to order it from Amazon or maybe you'll get lucky and find like a West Marine store and they'll have some. But yeah, no, you're, you're probably not going to be able to find it. So should you use Flex Seal? Well, yeah. And this is why. Flex Seal makes a number of different products. I want to focus specifically on the traditional Flex Seal in the aerosol can that comes out very, very thin. The concept behind this stuff is that it's thin like water. So when you spray it on a leak, it will go where the water goes and then harden and become this rubbery substance and keep the water out. Now, that's what they claim. Does it work? Yeah, you know, it works. I've used it a lot. I always have a can of Flex Seal with me. I have used it to fix a number of leaks. Well, gee, Jeff, why do you have so many leaks? Is it because you're a terrible carpenter? Yeah, it, it just might be, but it doesn't matter. I'm talking about Flex Seal here. And yeah, no, seriously, it is great for these, just these little leaks that are annoying. And uh, it's not a perfect solution. It would be much better to strip the area and put some lap sealant on there. But, you know, if I'm in the middle of Nevada about to drive another thousand miles, I'm going to use the Flex Seal. Case in point, the Tiki Bago, which is a 1972 Winnebago done like a Tiki Hut that we purchased earlier this year, has a lot of leaks. We had a really bad experience last week, and I crawled up on the roof and found out that the wall of the RV is separated from the ceiling of the roof, and there was a one-inch gap all along the side. Now, you ain't going to fix that with a can of spray-on Flex Seal. You want to try to do that with Flex Paste. Yeah, maybe with $100 worth of Flex Paste and about eight hours you could do it. Now, I fixed that with a big roll of, of basically aluminum tape with like a tar-like substance under it. It's ugly, but for this, it's fine. This vehicle's stationary, and it probably isn't going to be around that much longer. But it wasn't a perfect solution. That took care of the big gap, but there were still little gaps where water was getting in. And so I got some Flex Seal and sprayed all around it, and now no more leaks. I tested it in the rain, and it fixed it. And far as I'm concerned, that's it. That's good. So Flex Seal is not the ideal product for fixing leaks, but it is the available product. It's the one you can have just sitting in your van, and it's the easiest to use. I mean, you can use it while it's raining. It, you don't have to make the area dry you have to worry about oil it doesn't adhere to oil but if you just have like let's say you installed a max air fan and it was leaking around the edges you could literally just spray around the edges with a flex seal and it will stop it and then in six months the flex seal is going to turn all yellowy and start to bubble and maybe not work as well but hey we're talking about an emergency repair here so flex seal i recommend it and i understand it's not perfect i'm trying to be realistic about it Tales from the road. So let's talk about Nassau. Nassau, capital of the Bahamas, on New Providence Island. Did you know that the original motto for the Bahamas was, I'm going to say this wrong, but it's Latin, so who cares? Piratus restituta commercia. 
Comerchia? How do you... Anyway, it's Latin. (laughs) In English, it was Pirates Expelled, Commerce Restored. That was the motto of the Bahamas, which is kind of cool. Bahamas, this is is pirate territory here, and uh, I have been in the Bahamas a lot, such that when I go to Nassau, it is... I don't think it's ever been by choice, (laughs) at least not since the 70s. And I'm just like, oh, Nassau again. So the last couple of times I've gone there, I've either, well, it's just two things I do. One is that I will just walk until I find a place that sells sky juice, which is this weird gin mixture that is just wonderful. And I'll drink perhaps a little bit too much of that and then wander back to the ship. That's, that's a thing I do. I'm, I'm good with that. That makes for a nice day for me. The other thing I do is I'm feeling a little bit more adventurous or if I'm with other people is I will find a taxi and say, here's a hundred bucks. Take me to places you don't take people. And this is a strategy I've used all over the world. And I'll tell you what, you're going to have experiences no matter what. I let the guy know that I don't want to go to places that he normally takes tourists. Now, a lot of these taxi drivers are used to people hiring the taxi for the day to have them be kind of a tour guide. That's not what I want to do. I want to go to the places that locals go to or that are just odd that people don't generally request. And so I did this um, a few years ago and went to a few really interesting places in Nassau. The first one was this monument to basically the ending of slavery. And it was these statues. I don't even know if this place is still there, but it was these statues on a cliff overlooking what's known as James Bond Beach, because some parts of James Bond movie were filmed there. It's also where Jaws 4 was filmed, for what that's worth. And it's just this striking image of all these statues of people dressed in the garb of the 1600s and the expressions on their face, it just gives you a sense of the humanity of the slavery crisis. And I believe it was built to be kind of a place that tourists would go, and then that didn't work out. So now it's way off the beaten track. Very, very few people go there, but it's still just as striking, and uh, I thought that was amazing. Next door to that, he said, well, do you want to go see the pirate staircase? And I'm like, Yes. <laughs> yes. There is a question that will always be rhetorical if it is asked to me. And that question is, would you like to go see the pirate staircase? The answer will always be yes. And so we drove down a little bit and he took us to these worn coral stairs. That is stairs carved out of solid coral that went up through a cliff, kind of creating a tunnel or a cave from the beach. And there were these places in the walls that were carved out to put candles in. And he told us this story about how this is how the pirates would get their cargo on shore. They'd land on the beach and then go up these stairs and all this. And I was like, wow, that's pretty cool. I mean, why isn't this on a regular tour? Now, being the skeptical, curious person that I am, I didn't take his word for it. I have learned over the years not to trust tour guides because they're trying to entertain you, not necessarily educate you. And I found out that the true story of these stairs is actually much more interesting. These stairs were built for the filming of the movie 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea, but not the Disney one. The first one that was filmed in 1916 was the very first film that had ever been made underwater. 
they invented new technology to shoot scenes underwater. Now, this film is in the public domain. I'll try to have a link for it in the show notes. And uh, they carved these stairs in there for the movie. Now, I've watched the movie a few times, and I can't see the stairs in the movie. So they may have just been there for practicality to get gear down to the beach and film the movie. I tried to contact the guy who wrote the story about this. I was unsuccessful. So this is something I can't substantiate, but it's actually much more plausible than the story of the pirates because we know the movie was filmed there. That is well documented. And we know it was filmed in that area. And we know that there would be a need for these stairs to be there if they were filming. So I think it's true. If you're ever in Nassau and you're looking for this place, it's called the the pirate staircase. Now, If you're disappointed that there weren't any pirates involved there, well, I'm going to end this tale from the road and then turn it into a place to visit. Yes, continuing on, the last place we went to was called Greycliff, and it's an inn built by an actual pirate. (laughs) Now, a real pirate. This guy was, he was an actual pirate. His name was Captain John Howard Graysmith. What a great name for a pirate. And he commanded the notorious schooner Greywolf, plundering treasure ships across the Spanish main. I'm actually reading from their website here. And apparently he's one of the pirate stories you don't hear much about that he made all this money and then went to Nassau that repulsed the pirates and uh, said, yeah, I'm good. I'm done. I'm going to like build a hotel and stuff. And he did. (laughs) He built this hotel and it's still there and you can actually stay there. And it's this really cool old 18th century kind of mansion that is somehow very friendly. It's welcoming. You don't feel like you're entering like Versailles. You feel like you're entering just a really nice, comfortable house that you want to hang out in. It has wonderful gardens and amazing piano. You got to go check out the piano if you visit this place. And you can have meals there and you can get married there and all this stuff. And it has been kept up over the years. It has an amazing history of its own. Obviously, it's had hundreds of years of history. It was a speakeasy of course and it was owned by some royalty and there's a swimming pool and blah 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 all kinds of crazy stuff but it was very cool to actually be in the house of an actual pirate with actual history and well i'm telling you this because you can go there if you have a weekend off and you want to like jet off to nassau for a weekend yeah okay you can go to atlantis and paradise island and all the normal places but wouldn't you rather stay in the house of a pirate I mean, I would. So you can find this at graycliff.com. They spell gray with an A, so G-R-A-Y-C-L-I-F-F dot com. No, it's not cheap. Of course it's not cheap. But it is also not that different from staying in Atlantis. The rooms are done in antiques and period furniture. There are deluxe rooms and luxury rooms and suites and great, you know, there's a whole bunch of fancy rooms. Um, the Greycliff Suite, the very big fancy room that has its own balcony and everything, is is six ninety five a night. But the normal deluxe rooms are a quote unquote much more affordable three ninety five a night. And uh, it's you know if if you follow AAA ratings, this place has a four diamond rating, which is you know it's pretty high up. A very cool, interesting place to stay in a place that is somewhat boring if you cruise a lot because you end up going there all the time. So that's the Gray Cliff Hotel in Nassau on New Providence Island in the Bahamas. 
Now, a product review, because I kind of skipped around here a little bit. Product review of Ally Bank. So you're on the road. You still need banking services. You need a place to put your money. You need a debit card. You need all that stuff, right? But, you know, it can be hard to find a branch. Uh, If you have a local bank, like I have an account at Eastern Bank, which is only in the Northeast. And now that I've moved to Chicago, I can't go to a branch. And they're always asking me, come into the branch. And I, I, I can't. That's a pain in the butt. So what I did was I created another account at Ally Bank, A-L-L-Y, and they are a virtual bank. They're only online. They have no branches. And I thought I'd tell you about my experience with them. Overall, they have been excellent. When they were a smaller company, they had a policy that whenever you called, a person would answer the phone, and sadly that's gone now because they've gotten much bigger. But they have great policies and a great app, and everything kind of just works for the most part. You're allowed to use any ATM that uses money, and those ATMs will charge you a fee, but up to a certain point, Ally Bank will refund those fees to you. They have interest-bearing accounts, if that's what you want. They certainly accept direct deposit, and they will give you free checks. If you ever need checks, you just say, give me checks, and they will send them to you. All that has been great. It's been very easy to use. It's linked in with Zelle, so you can do those kind of transfers. I mean, it's everything you could want out of a bank. However... (coughs) There are a couple of issues, and I want you to be aware of them. First off, there is literally no way to deposit cash. So if you're working a job where you're making cash tips or something like that, I don't know how you're going to get that cash to Ally Bank. There's literally no way to do it. Also, while they can certainly accept checks with your phone app, you know, you can take pictures of the check and send them in like most banks do, they've got a new policy now where they won't accept two-party checks or even checks made out to two people. We recently got an insurance settlement, and it was made out to me and my wife, and we both signed the check, and I tried to deposit it with Ally, and they said, no, we can't accept that, which means I now have this signed check that I can't do anything with. Now, they did give me a mailing address where I can mail the check to them, but, you know, that's going to take forever, and then I've got this signed check floating around in the mail, so I'm not too thrilled with that. I would You can't deposit anything through an ATM. You can only take money out, so that's a problem. They've had some technical problems lately, too. Uh, Full disclosure, the app has just not worked sometimes, and so that's kind of annoying as well. But overall, I have been able to do all of my banking for nearly 10 years with Ally Bank anywhere in the world. My recommendation to you as a van life person, especially if you're a full-timer, is to at least have an Ally Bank account with some money in it. It just gives you some flexibility. It gives you more options. And it, for me, if I was just trying to rely on my Eastern Bank account, I would be in trouble a whole lot of the time. So Ally Bank is at ally.com. I'll have a link in the show notes. This was not sponsored or anything. I mean, I didn't even look to see if they have affiliate stuff or codes or any of that. It's just something I've been using, and, well, heck, you can use it too. Resource recommendation. Real quick one here. Being in vans, we don't generally have all the ingredients we would that are in a kitchen in a house. You know, we don't have the big pantry with 900,000 spices. I mean, some of you do. I swear some of you guys put more spices in your vans than clothes. But, no, hey, you do you. If that's your thing, I'm all in favor of it. But for the rest of us... Eh, we don't have all that much, and yet sometimes we wish we had more because we're missing an ingredient from a recipe. And, well, there's a little bit of a solution for that. The Institute of Agriculture and Natural Resources at the University of Nebraska at Lincoln actually created a nice list of things you can substitute if you're missing an ingredient. So let's say you're getting fancy and you're trying to make some cookies or bread, or you're trying to do something with a lot of ingredients, and, oh no, 
you need allspice, and you don't have allspice. Uh, okay, well, what can you do? Well, if you happen to have cinnamon and cloves, which you may not, you can actually make a substitute for allspice out of half a teaspoon of cinnamon and half a teaspoon of cloves. That will give you one teaspoon of allspice substitute. That's a nice thing to know. Baking powder, which is something you need only rarely. I mean, baking soda you usually have, but baking powder you need more rarely. Well, you can just make some because all you need is one quarter teaspoon of baking soda plus five-eighths of a teaspoon of cream of tartar, and that gives you one teaspoon of baking powder. Basically, baking powder is just those ingredients with alum added as well, and screw the alum. So, But no, all right, let's, let's get into some more reasonable stuff that you're like, oh no, you need butter. Will? What can you substitute for butter? Margarine, obviously. Vegetable shortening, depending on what you're baking. And oil. Now, if depending on the recipe, if, if, if it's not something that's going to end up as a solid, you can actually use like olive oil instead of butter at the same ratio. One cup of butter, one cup of olive oil. What about eggs? There's actually four different ways to do eggs. One weird way to make a substitute egg is half a teaspoon of baking powder plus one tablespoon of vinegar plus one tablespoon of liquid, whatever liquid you've got. That will give you, you're not going to fry that egg or make scrambled eggs out of it, but that will make an egg for your baking. Also, applesauce, if you're making brownies, you can use applesauce to replace some of the oil. I mean, on and on and on. It's a very big, long list. And, all right, full disclosure, some of the stuff is kind of silly. For example, if you need miniature marshmallows, you can substitute 10 large marshmallows for one cup of miniature marshmallows. Yeah, okay, that one is maybe not all that useful. But anyway, worth taking a look at. Uh, I'll give you a link in the show notes. It's kind of long. It's food.unl.eu slash article slash ingredient hyphen substitutions. I don't expect you to remember that. There'll be a link in the show notes. But good thing to be aware of if you're looking for substitute ingredients and just a nice thing to peruse so that you will know that if you need tomato juice, well, you can take one and a half cup of tomato sauce plus a half cup of water and basically make your own perhaps spicy tomato juice well folks thank you very much for listening to this episode 139 music as always is by simon wag i have a very unusual time coming up ahead of me i'm going to africa and antarctica and tortola and st kitts and all these different places and i don't know what that's going to do for the schedule but i will endeavor to keep you guys entertained once a week as much as i can until next time Remember the words of Ken Blanchard. Feedback is the breakfast of champions.